Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ken Absak and this is Daily Thrones. A quick look at the world of ice and fire and let's turn our gaze finally to season six of Game of Thrones. HBO's Game of Thrones went far out of the range of the books in season five. And in season six, it left them behind, leapfrogging well beyond many of the major story points. This isn't just about the show doing things a little different than the books. Season six was completely past the books in a lot of areas. A lot of stories changed. A lot of stories went to places, well, we didn't think it would go. Making for an interesting and memorable season that I think recovered from some of the problems season five seemed to have with a lot of fans. Uh, Season six recaptured a lot of the positive energy. It wasn't as dark. Oh, but it's Game of Thrones. It's still dark. But it wasn't as dark as season five, right? Maybe, maybe so. You guys let me know. It starts with the best, worst cliffhanger ever. Was Jon Snow going to come back to life? Yeah. Even though we don't know it in the books, you you have to assume Jon Snow was coming back. Then the great Kit Harington hair watch of the offseason, of course, was going on. But Jon Snow is brought back to life. And I thought it was done, again, it was done the way we all thought it was going to be done. Even casual fans were like, oh, the the red woman, she's going to do it. But I liked what it was about. I liked that it was Melisandre had lost some of her uh, lost some of her power, lost some of her belief. Now, some of you don't give a damn if she lost her belief. You don't like her. She led Stannis down a dark path. I mean, I'm a Stannis fan, but I like Melisandre, and I like I like her angle, and I like Jon. Did Jon come back affected enough? That might have been one of the things, but I think we we are happy with the results. He broke his vows, or maybe didn't need to break them because he had died. His vows ended. He leaves the Night's Watch. He gets revenge on Alistair Thorne, Ollie, uh, Bowen Marsh, and all the rest of the, his enemies in the Night's Watch. And I like that, though. It was brutal. Interesting end to Ollie. But you know what? That kid deserved it. The House of Black and White was kind of one of the more frustrating storylines in this season, and that left a lot of people scratching their head. Arya doing things Arya wouldn't normally do. Danny's storyline of going back to Vyastoth Rack and facing Dosh Colleen and the other cows and burning them all down was a, a quick, fast end to that story. I'm sure it will be longer in the books, and I'm looking forward to that version. But again, I see the show and the books as two different things, and I'm okay with that. I like Danny back in, back in power. This is the Danny that we all kind of fell in love with. And now she is united and heading west with a great all-star team. Yarn Theon Greyjoy. You got Dorn. Uh, you got Varys. You got Lady Olena. You got a lot of power. We'll see what happens. They face off against Cersei, Jamie Lannister, Euron Greyjoy, and a whole bunch of people. The Battle of the Bastards was definitely the highlight the big moment, but that last episode, the winds of winter, 
Yeah, Ramsey got his comeuppance. We had some epic stuff in that battle, but I love that final episode. And Cersei's rise to power. And the tragic death of Tom and the suicide, him jumping it out, becoming a meme. But also, you gotta feel for that kid. Cersei Lannister earned something in that moment. She earned this kill. Brutal, sad end. I'm a Marjorie Tyrell fan. I like Loras Tyrell. The High Sparrow storyline, that kind of was a quick end to it. But Cersei, if you go back to Five and Beyond, there's those Cersei sympathy moments we talk about. And in this moment, when she sips that wine after taking all her enemies out, it was brutal. It makes her the bad guy. But I think all of us in the back of our head were like, yeah, yeah, she earned that. Some of the big questions coming out of the course and how it was played out was Baelish and Sansa, Sansa and Jon. You got Lyanna Mormont stealing the show. There was a lot of great things about season six, a lot of big moments. So we're going to start diving in into these moments and everything about season six here on Daily Thrones. And I want your thoughts. I want your MVP of season six. I want your power players of season six. I want your favorite moments, your least favorite moments. Call on into the station. You know what to do. A lot of you do it daily, and I love it. Let's talk season six here on Game of Thrones. You can follow me on Twitter at CatNapsack. Use that hashtag Daily Thrones if you want to talk to me there and get some of your ideas on via Twitter on Anchor. Favor the station so you don't miss the season six talk. We're almost at season seven, but we got to stop here. I'm Ken Apsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. We are looking at season six. Before I got on to this, the big players of the season, the MVPs, the power players, the power moves, and some of the bigger plot points and bigger fights, all the grand things, I wanted to pause for a moment to talk about the scene stealer. Perhaps one of the biggest scene stealers in all of Game of Thrones, Lyanna Mormont. The young lady of Bear Island, Lady Leanna Mormont, running the Mormont house with uh, everyone, Mage Mormont dead, Giorra Mormont dead, and, and long gone in the Night's Watch, uh, first cousin Sir Jorah Mormont over in Essos, now trying to find a cure for Grayscale, this 10-year-old girl, portrayed so wonderfully by Bella Ramsey, interesting name there, Ramsey, um, she could not have asked for a better performance from a, a, a small role that shows up late in the season. Was it episode seven, I believe, she shows up? And, you know, she's mentioned in season five, but shows up in season seven late, and, uh, She's got attitude. Remember, she she in season five writes Stannis a message, which says, Bear Island knows no king, but the king of the north, whose name is Stark, get out of here, Stannis. And when you finally meet her late in the season, she brings an attitude uh, that that is entertaining, of course, but more than that, has great, great purpose. Watching that scene with Jon Snow as he is proclaimed king of the north, I think in large part it happens because of her. She stood with John and House Stark and everyone in the Battle of the Bastards, sending her small army that she claimed was worth uh, ten mainlanders uh, with the, the way they fight, the, 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 the Bear Island uh, warriors there. Uh, it is in, the, uh, in Winterfell, after the battle, that she really, really makes her mark. Beyond just attitude and, and being entertaining, the character makes a mark by standing up to face off against all these men from House Glover, House Manderley, everyone else who wouldn't stand 
wouldn't stand with Jon Snow when he, when he asked for a little help. She calls them on the carpet, tells them, oh, going Manderly, Glover, Kerwin, you, none of you answered the call. It is a great scene. It is a powerful moment. And I think is the final thing needed for a lot of these big, burly, mean men who ran away when duty called. It's the final moment for them to say, you know what? We were right. We did wrong. And it led to this movement to proclaim John the King in the North. What a wonderful little character to show up. And that's what Game of Thrones does so well. These, these side characters, the casting's always pitch perfect. Whether it's a, 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 a citizen of Marine presenting his, his dead goat or another one presenting his dead daughter to Danny, those moments are powerful. Whether it's uh, someone that Brienne and Jamie run into on the road uh, trying to get south, and all uh, the hound uh, and, and Arya running into the, uh, the, the farmer and his daughter, those kind of characters are so pitch perfect. And this is a ultimate, wonderfully ultimate example of small parts having big impacts and long-lasting legacies in Game of Thrones. What do you think of Lyanna Mormont and other favorite small but big characters in Game of Thrones? Let me know. Call on the station and we'll talk Season 6 as we build towards Season 7 of Game of Thrones. I'm Ken Apsuck and this is Daily Thrones with a quick look at the Season 6 Power Player. Season 6 saw a lot of big moves, a lot of people trying to make things happen, but in my mind, there's only one person that absolutely made things happen, and that is now Queen Cersei Lannister. She was the MVP of Season 5 to me because of what uh, Lena Headey did as an actress in finding some depth of depravity and some sympathy in that Cersei character, and that all led to her revenge in Season 6. There is no doubt that Cersei is a bad character, a bad person who makes some bad, evil choices. But I think she's a product of the way she was raised, a product of some of the things that happened to her. And living in fear of this prophecy from Maggie the Frog seems to be something that dominated her brain anyways. Cersei Lannister coming out of Season 5 had a long list of enemies, a long list of ways to get them back. And she had one idea in mind, thanks to her diabolically wonderful non-maester helper Kyburn, who is, by the way, Anton Lesser does a great job with that role. I love Kyburn. They dug up the old wildfire. They call it wildfire. And she uh, became the Mad Queen, or the Mad Pre-Queen, whatever she did. She took out her enemies in a way that I think on one level would make Tywin Lannister very proud on the other level, Tywin would say, I did it better and much quieter and with my hands far less dirty. But this was in some ways Cersei's coming out party. She has tried for so long to build on the family legacy and dynasty, as they say. And for so long, Tywin overlooked her. And when she had some opportunity and had a clear path to power, she seemed to kind of miss it. As she once said, power is power. But she seemed to stumble, she seemed to fall, she seemed to be not as smart as she thought she could be, and thought she was. But in the end, when she found herself licking a water off of a cell floor, she found her drive, her motivation, and boy did she take care of her enemies. It's one of the best sequences on the show, the light of the seven plane, slow build, 
her slowly getting ready, and then that explosion. All the green fire, all the pain, all the suffering, all the death, and one great sip of wine. You may not agree with it. You may not like Cersei, but you kind of have to begrudgingly admit that is one of the biggest, boldest power moves ever on Game of Thrones. And for that, Cersei Lannister is my power player of season six. Who's yours? Let me know. Call into the station. Find me on Twitter. Use the hashtag Daily Thrones. I'm at Ken Knapsack. We're talking Game of Thrones. Every day here on Anchor, I'll be talking Game of Thrones on Collider Video every Monday after the show, except for the first and last episodes, talking Sunday night. going to be a lot of ways to talk Game of Thrones, but Anchor is my daily connection to you guys. So let's strap in, get ready for Season 7, and tip back a nice glass of wine for Cersei Lannister, our power player of Season 6. Hey, Ken. So my Season 6 power player, it comes down to two people. Daenerys and Cersei. Now, I was originally thinking of going with Cersei because of what she does in the Green Trial. She takes out so many of her enemies in one shot, although it comes at a cost with her son killing himself. But then I'm going to take a look and I think about Danny and everything she's, she gained in Season 6. I think I have to go with her. She has a new Dorfra- She has the whole Dorfraki army at her back now. She has all these powerful alliances, as you've mentioned, with Dorn with uh, the Tyrells. I mean, the Queen of Thorns is pissed. She has her ships now from Euron Theon. She is on her way with so much support backing her. In fact, she has a lot when you think about it. So I got to give the Power Play Award to Daenerys. Hey, Ken, I'm glad that we've reached season six, which as of now is my favorite season of the show. That's not to say it's the best season for every character, but overall, when it comes to drama, emotion, and catharsis, I personally feel that season six reaches the most spectacular peaks of the entire series. I consider the finale, The Winds of Winter, to be the single best episode this brilliant show has ever produced. Battle of the Bastards is also a top five episode for me. The Door is solidly in the top ten, and Book of the Stranger and Home are contenders for that distinction as well. In balance, I think that moving beyond the books worked to the show's advantage. That's partly because of the extensive frustrations I have with A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, which I've expressed before, but also because by the end of the season, we are clearly positioned for the endgame. The chapters have been closed on some of the less central characters and storylines, and the stage is set for a truly spectacular final act. MVPs would be John and Sansa as a collective unit. They took back Winterfell for House Stark. The wolves have come again. Hey, Daily Thrones fans, it's been a while since we've checked in with Mark Riley of Collider Video and Movie Trivia Schmodown fame, and he and his girlfriend Julie have been watching Game of Thrones for the first time through in preparation for Season 7. Mark, we haven't checked in with you in a while. You're halfway through Season 6. I can't believe it. Ken, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and um, I am ready for that watch party for the Season 7 premiere. You, this, is, this is quite an effort. You and your, your, your girlfriend really buckled down. Once the show started, you guys were like, oh, maybe we'll watch one a week. You watch like four a day sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just the, why Game of Thrones is so good. It, it captured us. It got me. I knew I was in. Yeah. Because uh, you'd I, watched some before. Yeah, I watched season one uh, straight through. I binged it uh, season one, and I was yeah. ready for season two, but fell off. You know, life gets in the way sometimes. And uh, I was worried about Julie, my girlfriend. She then got hooked. It was Ned Stark losing his head that really got her. She was like, oh, my God, I'm in. And so now it's just, um, 
Yeah, she, you know, she she now comes into the the house going Game of Thrones. So I love, love it. it. Love it. You're halfway through uh, season six. What do you think about season six so far? We got uh, Jon Snow coming back, and the last thing you saw was Daenerys kind of burning down Vice Dothrak uh, and the rest of the cows. Yes, I, I loved Daenerys taking out the cows. I thought it was a fantastic episode. I just love watching her start to take over you know getting the getting the armies getting getting ready to make a move i don't know what that is yet right um it's that's fantastic to me and then john snow who has become my girlfriend's favorite character when, understandable understandable um she she does say that uh, when he she's like at one point she said if he dies right. i'm out well he died she was still in Right. But she was like, but she called it. It was weird. She went, he's going to come back to life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you know these things? She said, there's a witch. The witch can do it. And I said, oh, my God. Witches can do anything. Yeah. So she was kind of ahead of the game on that one. Smart cookie as she is. And um, so she's very, very excited. And uh, yeah, I think I, my favorite is Daenerys right now. I love her story. It was her taking uh, taking back this power um, and, and burning down the cows and, and not going the way of the Dosh Colleen. Was it too reminiscent of end of season one for you or just poetic enough? I think it was poetic enough. I thought it was kind of full circle for her and just doing what she had to do. I mean, come on. Those guys were threatening that if she was still alive, they were going to let the horses go on her. So, right. I mean, come on. Right. She's got to do what she's got to do. And that she did. A little fire starter, a little uh, carry action, all kind of at the same <laughs> exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. And so it's interesting. You have you have no idea where she's going. So I, I, let's talk predictions. Where do you think halfway through season six where Daenerys is going? God, I, I, I can't really imagine. I think it has something to do with uh, Drogon? Dro, Dr- Drogon? Dr- Drogon, her, her dragon? Her dragon. I, I, I'm just yeah. thinking that she's going to learn more how to control these things, and then she's going to really start to kick some serious ass. I'm... Where is she gonna go? God, that's a good question. I love it. I love you. I love you not knowing. This is yeah. great seeing the mind, uh, your mind working. The gears shifting. <laughs> yeah, it's I started good. to think about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Is she it's good? What is? She? I meant. I know she was saying something. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> we did a big move, but, so we're now trying to catch up. But she's in power, and I like that. And I love yeah. that you uh, love that stuff. And uh, yeah, season six, you've got to get going. You got a little bit of time. Season seven's right around the corner, but. You guys should give yourself a round for doing what you did. A round of applause. I will. I'll take it. I'm good. I'm good like that. All right, guys. That's Mark Riley. It's almost season seven. We're continuing our look at season six throughout the next couple days. Call in with your thoughts. Any thoughts on season six. I want to hear them. We'll see you next time on Daily Thrones. I'm Ken Abzug, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire, and it's time to name our MVP for Season 6. Who is the character, the actor, the performance, and the moments that transcended the entire season, created a legacy, and left a mark we won't forget? It's gotta be Jon Snow. Season 6 is very much about Jon Snow. It is him starting dead. Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Coming back to life. Leaving his vows. Trying to find out who he is. Struggling even with that. Sansa's the one that kind of slaps him silly. Puts some sense into him. Sansa's the one that saves him. But it's in that Battle of the Bastards that Jon Snow refines himself. Refines who he's supposed to be redefines who he is and at the end of it emerges 
as the king in the north. Now, what happens with that, we don't know. Baelish certainly has some ideas. Maybe even Sansa has some ideas. When it's revealed that his Stark blood is not that of Ned Stark, but of Lyanna Stark, and that he's a Targaryen, will that change all of that? But that is questions for Season 7. Season 6 saw Kit Harrington step into the spotlight. This very much was the season we thought we were probably one day going to get in Season 1. When Ned Stark goes, I do remember a lot of people, myself included, saying, well, this is this is kind of Jon Snow's story now, right? Yes, there's Daenerys Targaryen. You, you can't take that away from her. There's Tyrion Lannister. I think those three are kind of the main characters, if you will, though Tyrion now definitely seems a bit second tier. Sansa, Arya. This is also about the Starks, yes. But coming out of season one, when Ned dies... Rob Stark, even then, even then to non-book readers, even then to people who didn't know what was coming, Rob Stark didn't seem like the heir apparent. It very much seemed like Jon Snow. You knew right away the mystery of his mother, even if you're not familiar with R plus L equals J, even if you had no idea, there was something about it, something deeper. And Ned Stark going set up Jon Snow to be, in a lot of people's eyes, the main character. It's a story of ice and fire. Danny, John. But season six for me, for a lot of people, was the season where Jon Snow steps forward. Kit Harrington has, uh, well, he's been a good actor. He's had some great moments, but you saw he didn't really leave his mark in uh, Pompeii, for example. He's not yet transcended Game of Thrones, and it might be hard for him. But season six did show that he can act, he can be pouty. He can be brooding, but he can carry some stuff. He can carry big moments. The Battle of the Bastards. Him nearly being buried to death and then emerging almost anew. Him beating Ramsay to within an inch of his life, but holding back because he knew this was not necessarily his fight. It was Sansa's fight to end. These are moments that I think Kit Harrington did a great job of bringing to life and bringing to the screen and bringing off the screen. Again, it transcends this season. That is why I think Jon Snow is the MVP of season six. There's a lot of great contenders. Cersei's my power player, but she could have been a back-to-back winner. There's a lot going on there. I really do enjoy Sansa in season six. Sophie Turner doesn't get a lot of credit for what she does to Sansa, and I think that's because she did such a good job early on of getting people almost to not like her. You have sympathy for her. You absolutely do. But she's such a pouty little palace kid early on that you kind of forget some of the growth. But she has definitely grown, and season six was definitely big for Sansa. But at the end of the day, this is a song of ice and fire. And Jon Snow has emerged as the King of the North. Daenerys is coming west. We'll see what happens when they meet. But I think when it's all said and done, you will look back at season six and think, oh yeah, it's all about Jon Snow. But I'm open to counteroffers. I'm open to other opinions. You know what to do. Call into the station here on Daily Thrones. I'll post them. Let me know. Find me on Twitter at CatNapsuck. Use that hashtag Daily Thrones. We're getting so close to Season 7. Two weeks away. This is where you want to be to hear me daily talk about Game of Thrones. I'll be talking about it other places, but favorite this station. Join the conversation. This anchor station works because of your voices. It's what we do. We talk Game of Thrones.
I'm Ken Apsock, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And let's get down to Dorn. Season 5 introduced Dorn in a major way. Season 4, of course, brings an Ober Martell, and we get to learn about the Dornish House Martell and a larger world we had previously only heard about. But Season 5 was the much-anticipated arrival of the Sand Snakes. Hilaria Sands of Revenge. Prince Duran, Ariota. Eh, well, that didn't work out. It was clunky from the start, dramatically different from the books, missing some important characters and plot points. And let's be honest, sometimes that's okay. We've talked about some of the book changes are, from a certain point of view, better. But this one just didn't seem to work. Then, in the first episode of Season 6, you're following up on something actually was pretty cool. Laria San, the Sand Snakes, Obara, Tain, Nymeria, Nim, as it were. They carry out a little bit of a revenge plot, and the kiss of poison, the kiss of death, Marcella is dead. Jamie Lannister's moment as being a father from a weird point of view uh, is taken away from him. It's a moment of revenge. It's something good. The plot is moving. Then in season six, episode one, the Red Woman, we go down to Dorne. And Alari and Tyene kill Ariahota and Prince Duran. Pretty simply, I like some of the moment. I like Alaria Sansei. Weak men will never rule Dorne again. It was a brutal scene, but how does Ariahota die? A strong big man with a one knife to the back where little Arius Stark survives a complete gutting later on in the season. Not ours to question. A knife is a knife. But then you got Obara and Nymeria somehow getting back on a ship that we saw them watch uh, go away and they murder Prince Tristane. The Dornish plot is pretty much done. We don't see them again to the end, basically, when Olenna Tyrell has some great exchanges with them, and then they team up with the Tyrells, where it's left of them, and they, they all team up with uh, uh, Varys and the incoming armies of Daenerys Targaryen. Now, it's an interesting alliance. We can definitely talk about that. But Dorne, without a doubt, was rushed, I'll say botched to some degree, but at one, one angle, I get it. This is all we maybe needed, and I think sometimes as book readers, that's where we kind of uh, find ourselves a conflict. When Mance Raider was killed on the show, kind of showed that his plot in the book, as cool as it was when he went on, might not have been as important as I want it to be as a big Mance Raider fan. And maybe that's what's going on in Dorne. We're down in Dorne, and we're down on Dorne, because it was moved up, sped through, perhaps for a reason. Arian Martell and a lot of other of uh, the intricacies of the Dornish plot in the book are not here. We have to accept it. I think it's a missed and lost opportunity. But at least it looks good. Dorn is good on the show. It's pretty, and not just the people. What do you guys think about Dorn in Season 6 and Dorn overall? Let me know. Call in the station here on Daily Thrones, and let's talk. Oh, those beautiful Dornish people. See you next time, here on Daily Thrones. 
Hey, Ken. I definitely agree with naming Cersei as power player for season six. I was torn between MVP and power player for her, but I think her actions are more deserving of power player, which leaves what I think as the obvious choice for MVP, the newly crowned King in the North, Jon Snow. After he was resurrected and dealing with the traitors at the wall, he followed Ned's words from the very first episode, and since he passed the sentence, he was the one to swing the sword, so to speak, and cut the rope to hang them. He faltered a little bit in the Battle of the Bastards when he took Ramsay's bait, but he showed just how formidable an opponent he is. But what really seals this one up for me is after learning what Melisandre did to Shireen, he banishes her. The woman who brought him back from the dead cannot stay because of her actions so as the king in the north he is my mvp for season six and i cannot wait to see what season seven has in store for him thanks ken hey ken so now for my mvp of season six now i was thinking originally maybe john but i think there's a better choice i have to give the mvp award to sansa stark I truly feel she deserves it. This is the season she truly came into her own. We were waiting and waiting. A lot of us thought it was going to happen after season four. But, of course, they gave uh, Jane Poole's storyline to her. And in season six, though, she truly takes control. She truly knows what needs to be done in ways that even John doesn't understand. And she is the one that really saves the day by by getting Littlefinger to commit the Knights of the Vale at the Battle of the Bastards. Without that, they were going to lose. And to see her strength, to see her confrontation with Ramsay, that scene is incredible when she's walking away. So I have to give the MVP award to Sansa Stark. I'm Ken Absag, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire, and an even quicker look at cold hands. Or, or Benjamin Stark, or Benjamin Coldhand Stark, or who, who, who is, who is this? Coldhands is a very interesting and intriguing character from the books. Shows up to help Samwell. Shows up a little bit later on to help Bran and Mira, Jojen and Hodor, and he has to go because he cannot cross into the, into the tree, into the cave to see the three-eyed crow or the three-eyed raven on the show. I thought Cold Hands would be cut from the show. I, I thought. Then he appears as Benjamin Stark, or kind of cold. It's we're not sure. George R. R. Martin has famously said, "Cold Hands is is not Benjamin Stark." A lot of signs do point to Benjamin Stark, but that's mostly because Cold Hands seems to know who Bran is, seems to know what's going on, and well, he has a black cloak of a man of the Night's Watch and. And Leaf pretty much says, hey, he's a ranger when they meet up with Bran. But the show decided to maybe combine the characters. It's interesting to me if Cold Hands is not Benjamin Stark. It's similar to Jagannagar or the man wearing the face of Jagannagar showing up in the House of Black and White. That is a change from the books, and it was a good one. But also, it, it could have been who the character was actually supposed to be, didn't necessarily add or subtract. And maybe that's what we have with Cold Hands. Cold Hands is an interesting read if you're not a book reader. Rides a big, majestic elk. The show cut that out. But I, for one, am happy with this change. If it is a complete and total departure, I love Benjamin Stark and the mystery about him. It drives Jon Snow in a lot of ways. He wants to find his Uncle Benjamin. Drives Jorah Mormont. Jorah Mormont says it's listed as one of the reasons he's taken the Night's Watch in full force. To find Benjamin Stark or find out what happened to him. Well, now we kind of know. Sort of. 
Did you like Benjamin Stark coming back as Cold Hands or not Cold Hands? Or would you rather have had Cold Hands? Or do you think Cold Hands is Benjamin Stark? And George R. R. Martin has been playing with us this entire time. Let me know here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, i got to be honest, I always assumed that Cold Hands was, in fact, Benjamin Stark, and then Martin was just lying to us to throw us off. But if it's a separate character, I have no problem with them changing it for what they do with the show. I like that it's Benjamin Stark. I'm glad Benjamin Stark showed up. I'm glad Cold Hands showed up. I actually also thought it was actually going to be cut kind of like Stoneheart. So I was very happy to see the character because I think it was very, even in, in the show's interpretation of it, of it, was very cool. So it was a, definitely a happy moment when he shows up. What's up, Ken? Uh, on the Cold Hands discussion, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Honestly, I feel like George R.R. R. Martin probably originally intended for the character to be Benjen. Uh, but he has stated before that sometimes he's uh, not very good at keeping the fan theories always guessing. Or at least, I mean, he has said that the fans are pretty good at guessing a lot of fan theories and that sort of makes him want to change things up. So maybe originally he thought that Benjen was going to be cold hands and then when people started guessing and getting ahead of him he was like oh, maybe i should retcon that or something like it. that's my opinion anyway or i could be completely wrong and he is cold hands and always was